man, I'm so glad that you have tuned back in to Mavericks and Misfits. Um, I'm like really, really happy about this because uh, I've been stoked. I'm just being honest with you. I've been really stoked about these episodes on women in ministry. And it's been a great adventure for me because I'm finally systematizing uh, for myself uh, the thoughts and the beliefs that I've carried in my heart. I'm, I'm getting them systematized in my head. I'm verbalizing them. I'm sharing them. And the more I study and the more I seek the face of the Lord on this, the more I look at the actual um, interpretive challenges in the Bible about women in ministry, uh, the more I'm just getting convinced that the prohibition of women to exercise teaching, preaching, prophesying, and leadership gifts in the church, I'm just more and more biblically convinced at a stronger level that it's just wrong. It's just wrong to prohibit and to refuse to uh, welcome women to step into their God-given calls and their roles that he himself has ordained for them. And so, whereas I know that not all of you are going to agree with me on these things, I hope that we're all mature enough to um, explore these issues. The difficulty for me is that this is a podcast, so it's a monologue. And um, y'all pardon me, the pollen's still getting me. <clears throat> it's a monologue, so I don't have the luxury of Q&A, and I understand the questions that many will have, and even the arguments against what I'm teaching that many will have. But here's the reality. What I'm saying isn't new. It's not new. And what you have, if potentially you're in disagreement with me, what you have to rebut what I'm saying is not new. And so nobody's coming up with new stuff here. This is why it's a, it's been an argument that's been entrenched for a very, very long time. And so I'm just doing what I do. I'm, I'm here to help my generation and anybody that might listen to this after I'm dead and gone. I'm here to help people that are like literally in my sphere of influence right now. People that I'm in dialogue with, people that I know are listening to the podcast and the people that I pastor, the people that I influence at Caneo Ministry Training Center, that's the, the Bible college that I help lead along with uh, pastors Todd and Karen Smith and the staff there. Um, Transforming Truth is the other ministry that I founded and established, and it's about a truth-teaching ministry. What's very interesting um, and was painful at the time, but because of my stance, my public declarations, over the years about women in ministry, we actually lost our biggest donor to Transforming Truth a few years ago, by far the biggest donor. And uh, they walked, and um, it was because they hotly disagreed with me about this issue of women being able to speak and to preach. And, you know, while I respect them and I love them, actually, they're friends, but um, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm paying the price for this because I believe it. I wouldn't do this if I was kind of undecided. Like if I was like, take it or leave it, and I, I wouldn't pay the price. But I just believe that part of my calling is to advocate women and their callings. And so I'm not a rescuer. I'm not a hero. I'm not, I'm not that dude. But I just want to be a voice of consistency. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. I don't know if you guys remember the, it's a very, you probably don't remember it because nobody talks about it. But there's a passage in Joshua 17 where um, the daughters of of Caleb come to Joshua and they want the inheritance that was left for them. Um, and because, uh, they had not yet received it, but Moses had promised it. 
they, these, these daughters come up to Eleazar the priest and Joshua who were leading Israel and all the other leaders. And they said, I'm going to quote you this from Joshua 17, four, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance alongside of our brothers. And so according to the mouth of the Lord, Joshua gave them an inheritance alongside the brothers of their father. And it just, it goes on to say in verse number six, the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. And so that phrase, give us an inheritance alongside of our brothers. I feel like that statement from ancient Israel is crying out today to be heard by the daughters of God through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Give us an inheritance alongside of our brothers. And so, whereas I would never use that passage to justify my position on women in ministry, I'm just saying I'm going to appeal to that, like that, that gets my heart. I hear the women of God saying, we're not asking for something that's not given to us. We're saying the inheritance was meant for us. Somebody in authority, make it happen. And so I'm just one of those guys. Eventually, when you're talking about women in ministry, you have to get to the issue of First Timothy 2, primarily verses 11 through 12. You have to. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time today on that because it's the first Timothy, really, verses 8 through 15. I look at those verses and I see such a, a flagrant inconsistency among those who use verses 11 and 12 to preclude women from authority or ministry or leadership. And their interpretation of those two verses, and it's just so flagrant, flagrantly inconsistent with how they interpret the rest of First Timothy 2 and parts of chapter 3 and parts of chapter 5 and then other portions of Scripture. And so what I'm doing today is, and I'm going to go into depth into First Corinthians 2, excuse me, First Timothy 2, 11 and 12. I'm going to get into the Greek words probably in the next podcast. But for today, I'm just going to show you how inconsistent people who preclude and prohibit and refuse women in ministry. Let me just show you how inconsistent it is how they interpret the Bible. And I'm going to expose the inconsistency and the responsibility to answer these issues is not on me. It's on the people who don't apply consistent interpretive methods to all of Scripture. Why do they use this type of interpretation in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, which, which we're about to go into? And then they kind of just dismiss that. They look the other way when interpreting other passages of Scripture. So I'm about to call out some of the complementarian um, foundational views. So 1 Timothy 2, let me read verses 8 through 15, okay? If you are if you got a Bible nearby, pick it up. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. This is what Paul says. I desire then that in every place the men, the men, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women, plural, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women, plural, who profess godliness with good works. Then verse 11, let a woman, singular, singular, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Notice Paul went from giving uh, guidelines for women, plural, and then he's talking about a woman. And many Bible interpreters, and I'll deal with this in the next podcast, believe that he's actually talking about a specific woman there in Timothy's congregation. But I'll leave that argument for next time. But he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. 
And I'm going to deal with that verse in explicitly in the next podcast, I think. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So 1 Timothy 8, 2, excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, I just read to you. These are the verses. I'm pretty sure that if verse, 1 Timothy 2.12 was not in the Bible, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But in all fairness to my complementarian brothers, sisters, and friends, it does present an issue that egalitarians need to answer. Because Paul, if you just look at verse number 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. If that verse, taken alone, is your control verse, then I understand why you don't think a woman can have authority, why a woman cannot teach, why she cannot speak, why she cannot preach, why she cannot lead. I understand. If you look at that verse in the English at face value and ignore everything else, I would totally be a complementarian. But that is a terrible way to read your Bible, study your Bible, and teach the Bible. So I'm going to expose, again, all I'm doing right now is giving you some things to think about. If you're in disagreement with me, if you already agree with what I'm saying, then I'm equipping you to have conversations with other people who specifically want to use 1 Timothy 2. The whole issue for me is it is a inconsistent interpretation and application of Scripture that the complementarian holds to. And again, the complementarian is the represents a word that represents the people who believe that women can do many things in the church, but they can't hold positions of authority. They can't speak in authority. They can't teach. They can't do anything that would resemble having any kind of kingdom authority or influence over men. And again, they draw that from this passage I just read. But I, I want you to understand something. We need to observe that those who oppose women in ministry in the verses I just read, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Timothy 2, they, they, they oppose women in ministry, and, and they view this as a general regulation on teaching and authority exercised by women. But if you're going to hold that view, you need to be consistent then and not making those two verses apply only to a certain level of, of women, such as ordained women. Can't do ordained women. Distinguishing them from non-ordained women or pastors as being distinct, female pastors as being distinct from female missionaries. So in other words, I'm looking for some consistency here. You can't say, well, we interpret this verse to mean women can't be pastors, women can't be ordained, women can't do this, but women can speak as missionaries, women can teach as missionaries, they can testify, they can share, they can get up and recount as long, and and guys, those verses don't say that. You have to understand. Those are inconsistent applications of a verse that they're saying is dogmatic. So if it's to be interpreted strictly to be precluding women from authoritative roles, then it's got to be strictly consistent. So it's got to be applied to all women in any role within the church because these particular verses don't differentiate between female clergy or older females or younger females or educated females or marketplace females or homemaker females. We cannot say that the verses, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, allow for women to teach and have authority over women and children but they can't have any authority over men. You you just can't use these verses to say that. You can't allow for women to be able to speak 
and have authority in one area, but then to say, well, but in every area, but men, and I know you're going to protest and say, but that's what the verse says. Listen, the verse does talk about women having authority over men in the next podcast. I'm going to deal with that verb. The only time, or excuse me, that noun, the only time that noun is used in the Bible is right here. And it's authentine. And it is a word that describes usurping. The King James got it right. Usurping authority. Modern translations, they dilute it and they just say a woman can't have authority. But the King James translators got it right. It means to take by force. It describes a domineering woman, a woman that is acting in a domineering way over a man. And Paul says, I don't allow the woman to do that. He went from plural women to singular women, excuse me, singular woman. That's why I personally am convinced that he's actually talking about a woman in the church of Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring, that she can't continue to domineer and take and seize control and authority. Now, again, I got off track there, but I'll I'll deal with that when we just deal with these two verses. But right now, I'm just showing you the flagrant inconsistency in interpretation and application of these verses. By the way, those verses that we just read, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. It's not limited to only certain styles of teaching because people say, well, well, preaching is distinct from sharing. And, you know, sharing is okay for a woman and even maybe teaching in a seminary or writing theological books, but she can't preach in the church house, which very interesting, there was no church house when Paul was writing this. All of the church was meeting in homes and it was much more organic than formal. And so one of the reasons Paul was writing it was to provide some structure for these house church meetings. But again, do you see the inconsistency? Oh yeah, we can have a woman stand in the pulpit and share. We can have a woman stand and testify. We, some churches, we say we can have a woman stand up there and pray, but she cannot preach and she cannot assume an authoritative role of teaching and she better not prophesy, even though the Bible doesn't preclude that. So in other words, if First Timothy 2 and 11 and 12, this is what I want to get to. If it's an absolute dogmatic and full prohibition on women teaching and exercise authority in the church, both in Paul's day unto the, you know, the present day, then that to interpret that verse consistently, it prohibits all such activity. So either a woman can speak or she cannot. And lots of churches that use these verses to prohibit women from teaching and preaching will happily allow a woman to testify or to share. But these verses, like interpreted as they are by those who oppose female authoritative speaking, they should also be consistent and forbid any kind of communication if they are going to apply these verses consistently. And that's what I'm pointing out. Churches, some churches may be straight hardcore down the line, but most of the churches that I know that would never allow a woman to teach publicly, authoritatively in a mixed congregation of male and female, they'll gladly let her get up there and testify. They'll gladly let her get up there and pray. They'll gladly let her get up there and um, you know, share her, her, her story. Guys, this is so inconsistent to me because when you go back to the first t- century, if leaving first Timothy and going to first Corinthians, if you go to first Corinthians 11, it is undeniable. I don't know anybody that denies that Paul is saying women were allowed to prophesy clearly in first Corinthians 11. Now wh- why that interests me is because prophecy by this same author, the Apostle Paul, prophecy is declared to be the highest form of communicative spiritual gifts. He says that, 1 Corinthians 14. 
He says, desire all the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And then he goes on to compare in 1 Corinthians 14 to compare prophecy with tongues. And then prophecy is listed ahead of teaching and exhortation. So prophecy is actually the highest form of communicating spiritual gifts, and women are clearly allowed to do that. It's placed above exhortation and teaching. So common sense begs the question of why the Apostle Paul would declare in one place that women can and did and do exercise the highest communication role, prophecy, in the church, but then turn around and forbid all of them from using the lesser gift of teaching in the church. It doesn't make spiritual, biblical, interpretive sense. And so when you go back to 1 Timothy 2, most um, complementarians, most who oppose women in ministry, they assume without question that 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, that those are the control verses. Those are the authoritative final buck stops here. This is the final say-so text. And so, therefore, they, they interpret all the other New Testament data, and Old Testament for that matter, on women in ministry. They interpret it through the lens of 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. And I challenge that. Now, I've presented already in a couple of other podcasts before this one on women in ministry that these two verses, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, must be considered in the context of everything else Scripture teaches. And not only teaches didactically, but what it reveals in the narrative of Scripture about how God chooses to use women in both Old and New Testaments. You can't ignore that. That is wrong. That it dishonors um, biblical interpretation. It dishonors uh, the heart of the Lord. It dishonors the, the revelation of the Word of God to take two verses and ignore everything else. That's inconsistent biblical interpretation and application. So to present these two verses as the end-all statement presents a host of questions that are constantly left unasked and unanswered by those that are um, from the complementarian camp. You hear what I'm saying on this? Now, if now I'm, I'm going to get a little bit. I'm going to be. I'm going to put on the the lawyer hat here because I'm demanding consistency, consistency in how we look at the whole of the scripture. So if we choose as some do to dogmatically enforce first Timothy two, 11 and 12, what are we doing with the rest of the words in this same book of first Timothy? Do we do the same thing with the rest of the words? Why do we not approach other texts in first Timothy with the same passion that we approach 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. How come we're not dogmatically enforcing the rest of the words of even the same passage? And so let me, let me give you just a couple of things, like, like literally. I'm going to go back up into these verses I read. Paul says, I desire then that every, in every place, that is dogmatic. Paul's saying, here's my desire, in every place, the men, plural, What should men do? In every place, when the church is gathered, the men should pray. And then he says, the men should lift up their hands. And the men should do so with a heart with no anger and no quarreling. And and so I'm just asking you, in all of the complementarian churches, are you going hard after making sure that all the men in the church consistently, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, whenever the church meets, are complementarian pastors and leaders and proponents 
Are they being as dogmatic about the men? Why men aren't you lifting your hands? The Bible says you better lift up your holy hands. And make sure nobody in here has got anger or quarreling because that's what the Bible says. And we're going to enforce this thing. Nobody does that. It's just not being done. Why? Because we interpret that part culturally. By the way, verse 9 says that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Amen. Modesty for women. It's in the Bible. You don't like that? You got a problem with the Bible. But notice it gives details. He says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. So in other words, that is interpreted by most complementarians. That is interpreted loosely. It says, oh, that was just a cultural thing because in Ephesus, if you dressed up like that, you were more like a prostitute or you were not being humble. And so, but, but if we're going to be consistent, if we're going to interpret first, three verses later, if we're going to, yeah, three verses later, if you're going to interpret three verses down strictly, then you have to do it with this one. So in other words, complimentarian friends, I'm just saying, if a woman's got her hair done or she's wearing gold or she's wearing pearls or it costly attire, that means if she's dressed nicely, like if she shopped at Nordstrom or if she went to Saks Fifth Avenue or wherever women buy nice clothes these days, that's a violation of scripture if you're going to be consistent in how you interpret scripture. Nobody's, no, man, oh my goodness, this is silly. Nobody is interpreting that passage like that. Nobody's doing that. And yet two verses later, bless God, if a woman gets up to teach or exercise authority over man, she better be quiet because that's what the Bible says. Do you see the inconsistency? And I'm just asking all of my complimentarian friends, what's your answer? Yep, I'm, I'm putting on the lawyer hat. I'm pressing you to give an answer for your inconsistent interpretation of the Bible. And it is not right for you to say, well, I'm not worried about that. This is clear to me. I don't know about all that, but this is clear. You are inconsistent and you lose all credibility, at least with me you do. If you're choosing to ignore it. Now, if you're willing to explore it, if you're saying, oh, Jeff, that's a good point. I need to answer that. What I'm saying is to the kind of spirit that says, I don't care what argument you're bringing up. I don't have to answer that stuff. I know what 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says. Well, I would just say you have zero credibility because you're not applying your own interpretive rule to the rest of scripture that doesn't suit your predetermined position. You want to go a little further with this? Come on. <laughs> I, I so applaud you guys for staying on. I've just got a few more minutes, so... If you press the book of 1 Timothy in the same way, the rest of the book of 1 Timothy, in the same way that you press 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, let me, let me give you this. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 and verse 4, if we interpret, use the same type of interpretation that they apply to 1 Timothy 2 and 11 and 12 with the women, here's what you would have to say about 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 4 about the men. It would rule out every single one of the unmarried men from ministry. Or even, even married men who don't have children. Why do I say that? Because this is what it says. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Nobody argues that. The husband of one wife. And then it says in verse 4, he's got to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So if we're going to strictly interpret 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 for women in ministry, why don't we do it for 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 and 4 for men in ministry? Because it says that he's got to be the husband. He's got to be a husband. So if you're not married, then you can't minister. You can't oversee. You can't proclaim. You can't have authority in the church. The overseer is the authority in the church. But we all know that we let single men get up in the pulpit. And they prophesy and they evangelize and they preach. And by the way, I don't have a problem with that. I think that they should. 
But we don't have credibility when we say, well, the women, we are interpreting verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 very strictly, but we're going to loosen it up a little bit in 1 Timothy 3. So if he's not married, no big deal. Or if he's married but doesn't have children, no big deal. Well, again, you just shifted. You moved the goalpost on how you interpret Scripture, and you've got to answer the question, why are you so intensely strict about 1 Timothy 2, and then you suddenly loosen up when it comes to the men in 1 Timothy 3? Here's a biggie, 1 Timothy 5. Listen, there's two verses on women in 1 Timothy 2 that seem to preclude and prohibit them from teaching and preaching and exercising leadership authority. And and people go to town on that. But did you know there's 14 clear verses of instruction in 1 Timothy 5 on how churches are to minister to and facilitate and help widows? So to be consistent in how we look at all of the book of 1 Timothy, we would read those verses, 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. There's 14 verses of clear instruction, imperatives, commands. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 isn't even a command. It's Paul giving an indicative. He says, this is what I am not allowing. And again, we'll unpack that. But in 1 Timothy 5, these are all commands, 14 verses of commands about women, about widows. And so if we're going to use that same interpretation that they apply to 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, we would need to require all of our churches everywhere in the New Testament to establish an official order of widows for all widowed women. And by the way, all widowed women who are 60 and older. And then we would also have to require, based on the teaching of those verses in 1 Timothy 5, we would need to require that all widows 59 and under must remarry. They must If we're interpreting it with the same way we interpret 1 Timothy 2, by the way, I don't believe that at all, but if you're going to be consistent, then those same churches better have an order of widows for all widowed women under 60, and they must insist that all widows under 59 remarry, and the reasons are given because of sexual drives and then daily idleness. So if we interpret these verses in the same way people interpret 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, (laughs) we we have to enforce this order of widowhood. 59 and under, you got to get remarried. 60 and older, we got to take care of them in these ways. 14 verses of instruction, and nobody's talking about it. Nobody's enforcing it. Nobody's up in arms. Nobody's protesting. Nobody's writing blogs about the widow thing. But if, we, if, if people are going to deserve credibility and consistency in their views and practices, we have to interpret both passages the same way. So again, I'm asking the question, why are some people completely dogmatic about what Paul says about women teaching and having authority, and then they're completely silent or partially dismissive about the many more clear verses on how to structure life and ministry for widows. Do you see what I'm saying? All right, I'm getting passionate. Give me about seven or eight more minutes, okay? Did you know that five times in the New Testament there are clear scriptural imperatives for Christians to greet one another with a literal holy kiss? Did you know that? Book of Romans, Book of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, First Thessalonians, First Peter. Their commands were to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, again, if we're going to be consistent in how we interpret the Bible, and we're dogmatic in First Timothy two, I'm wondering: Are all you complementarians making sure that everybody obeys the holy kiss commands? Because they're imperatives, and they're not once or twice, and not just in one book of the Bible. Five different books of the Bible, five times the holy kiss is mandated. And yet, 
you know, people that are dogmatic about women not preaching, they have no issues with viewing those words about the holy kiss as, oh, those are unique to those times in which they were written. Yet they denounce those who view, like me, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, about women. You know, when I bring up, hey, look, there's an alternative view to what you're saying. They denounce that as you're ignoring the clarity of scripture. So do you see the flagrant inconsistency? This is why I get so stirred up about this stuff. <laughs> Let's just add this. What about foot washing? Oh, man, I'm so glad that we don't have to wash feet. But if we're going to apply a consistent interpretive technique, a hermeneutic, and we're going to apply all of Scripture the same way we do 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. It's just clear right there in the words. No need to think about it. No need to study it out. No need to consider it. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that with foot washing. I mean, most, most churches don't consider foot washing a necessity, even though <clears throat> Jesus seemed to explicitly command it in John 13. So my point is that the strong egalitarian opposition, excuse me, a strong complementarian opposition to women in ministry, it seems to accommodate people who are permitted to pick and choose what passages of Scripture are dogmatic and which ones are debatable or culturally defined or dismissed or diluted. Do you see it? I'm simply asking people to give a reasonable answer as to why they switch modes of interpreting scripture when it comes to the roles of women in the church, when there are clearer passages of scripture that command us to do things. And those same people are just blowing those off. It's just important stuff, man. We, we, you know, I guess probably that I just need to kind of land the plane a little bit and just say to you, Think about why you believe what you say you believe. Don't parrot your pastor, your favorite podcaster, your favorite author. Don't just go around rehashing talking points. No, nobody's taught me on this stuff. I didn't go through to a class. Now, I've read on it. But ultimately, I'm looking at the scriptures and I'm asking what does the Lord intend for us to believe about women in ministry? And so I've got these two verses in 1 Timothy 2 that, by the way, if they weren't in the Bible, nobody would wonder if women could be in ministry. But they are in the Bible. They are in the Bible. So they need to be examined. And they need to be lined up with everything else that Scripture reveals about women in ministry. And then every single one of us need to come to a Holy Spirit, biblically informed conviction about what we believe. And for me, I'm a leader in a church. I'm a leader in a school, a Bible school. I'm a leader in ministry. And so that's just God's assignment on my life. So I am massively accountable for what I believe and for what I communicate about what I believe. And if you're going around tossing around somebody else's ideas then what I'm doing is I'm challenging you and I'm saying, why do you believe what you believe? And what do you do with everything that I've said in this podcast, the other two and the ones that are coming? Cause you have to be able to answer that. And here's my goal. My goal is this. If at the very least, some of you will just say, Jeff, I don't care about anything you're saying. I disagree with it all. Or maybe you're even saying, I've got answers for all of that. And you're just wrong, Jeff. Okay. I can respect you for that. I completely disagree with you. But if for those of you that are on the fence and you haven't studied it out 
and you haven't considered the whole of Scripture, and you're not looking at the inconsistency of interpreting one passage this way and then having to interpret 1 Timothy 2 in a different way because that, that undergirds your, your preconceived beliefs. It's like you, you have to fight to make it stand on all four legs. And you have to, you have to explain why you mis, misapply that same interpretive technique. Why don't you apply it to everything else that I've discussed? So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing what I did with the gifts of the spirit 20 years ago when I started recognizing, oh, the cessationist position is so flagrantly inconsistent. And if it's inconsistent, it, it is clearly flawed. And if it's flawed, it has to be examined. So that's what I'm doing in these podcasts. I hope you're being enriched. Hey, listen, you got my email, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. If you're getting helped, let me hear from you. If you're getting mad, <laughs> let me hear from you. Listen, we're all going to be best friends in heaven. <laughs> the, what you view about women in ministry and what I view about women in ministry is not the determining factor about where we're going to be for glory. But it is a determining factor on some of the rewards we're going to get. And I'm going for it, friends. You, you, you can disagree with me if you want. I am going for it. I want my life to matter. I want crowns. I want rewards because all of that is going to determine my capacity in the coming kingdom. And the more crowns that, listen, you, some of y'all are going to hate this. I'm going to say it right at the end of the podcast. Salvation is free, but rewards and crowns are earned. They're earned. And so, yep. I am stewarding my life as to gain a reward for the glory of God and so that my capacity in the kingdom will be something that will further glorify him throughout the eternal ages. So I'm going hard after this thing, and I hope you will too. Again, check out maverickmisfit.com for previous episodes of the podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Please rate and review. When you rate and review, it helps me to reach more people. I don't know. I don't understand how the algorithms work and all that, but it's true. When you take two minutes of your time, say, Jeff, thank you. I appreciate what you're saying. Or you can say, Jeff, you're an idiot. I'm not even saying you have to give a positive review. What I'm saying is this. Let people know what you think about Mavericks and Misfits because it helps me reach more people. Go to transformingtruth.org. Take advantage of all the free resources there. We're going to be redesigning that website probably by the end of May, early June, hopefully. Uh, have a brand new redesigned website, new logo, branding, all of that stuff. And follow me on social media. Transforming Truth is on social media. Jeff Lyle, me, is on social media. Uh, Facebook, both of those on Facebook. Uh, Transforming Truth and me on Instagram, all those links and stuff. I'm on Twitter. I'm back on Twitter as word spirit guy. That's my handle now at word spirit guy. I know it's a little corny, but it's okay. That's what I called it. Word spirit guy. Follow me on Twitter and uh, subscribe to YouTube for transforming truth resources and teaching. And listen, it's time for some of you to further your, your Christian edification, steward your theological education. Um, you, you're, you, you can enroll starting in July. You can up and enroll at Kineo MTC, K-I-N-E-O-M-T-C, Kineo Ministry Training Center. Um, you can enroll. There's campuses. There's a new campus at, at Winder. We've, we've actually opened, I think, somewhere around, we're, our goal is 30 campuses before school opens in fall. We're right around 23, 25, somewhere around there. we we got campuses uh, that are popping up everywhere. God's doing something. People are getting edified and educated in the things of God, and I would love to have the opportunity to help you in a formal ministry degree, a four-year degree. Um, you could get a diploma there for less 
little bit lesser cost. Everything's so affordable. We intentionally are doing this kingdom-wise, not to make a ton of money, but to make disciples. So there are associated costs, but listen, you get out of something what you put into it, but it is ridiculously lower than most of your major Bible colleges in Atlanta. Best I Last I heard, we have the third largest student enrollment in Caneo Ministry Training School uh, Training Center of any Christian college in the state of Georgia, and it's just popping, man. It's so so rich what God's doing. Check out caneomtc.com. Register. Get ready to register and plan on joining us in the fall as you pursue uh, theological training, ministry training, equipping, leadership training. It's also good. So listen, time's gone. I could talk for another hour, but you don't have another hour, so I'm signing off. Tune in next Tuesday. We're going to be going deeper into 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We're going to talk about what is the truth behind the word authority that Paul uses in verse number 12. It's going to be good. We'll see you next time. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.